Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn about anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. And my name is Todd Hixenball, and I'm trying to get her to call me the Todd father, though I don't think it's going to work. Who are you trying to get? My mom. Oh, okay. I just thought it was worth a try. I think it's a failing effort. Well, whatever. Regardless of how this intro has gone, we have a great episode for you today. Today, we are talking with Dan Pink. And some of you may have heard of Dan Pink before. He's written a few books, you know, such as Drive, To Sell Us Human, and A Whole New Mind. And today, we are talking with him about his brand new book called When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing, which actually releases today. today. Boom sauce. And, you know, I actually heard uh, that Dan was talking about uh, that he was coming out with a new book um, a couple of months ago whenever I was at the Catalyst Conference and he, you know, presented some of the material from that. And I thought, man, we got to have Dan on the podcast to talk about And lo stuff. and behold. Here we go. Here we go. Now, we have, like I said, we have a great episode for you today. But one thing that we want to remind you of is that all throughout January, we're releasing two episodes of the podcast each week. Uno, dos. We're going to be releasing them on Tuesdays as normal, and then we're also going to be releasing a second episode on Thursdays. And so the best way to make sure that you don't miss any of our episodes is by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast player you use. And hey, we had a pretty fun first week. We dropped last week Brad Lominick on Tuesday. He was talking to us about some really cool stuff about being a young leader. And then Thursday, we dropped Jeff Henderson's episode, and he was talking to us about his hashtag, the, the hashtag for Gwinnett campaign that uh, his organization in, in down in Atlanta, what they're doing with that. So we had a great first week. We had a lot of fun um, sharing those two episodes with you, and the fun is going to continue. Yep. We're going to join into our conversation with Dan Pink, and the thing that I absolutely love that he talks about is that sometimes it's not you know what you do or even how you do it. It's when you do it. And so we're going to join our conversation with Dan Pink right now. Well, Dan, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. I'm so glad to be here. You know, before we, you know, jump into the content of your new book, uh, When, you know, I was just wondering, you know, what made you want to investigate this whole idea of timing? Well, I realized that I was making all kinds of timing decisions myself, but I was doing it in sort of a haphazard way. And um, I wanted to do better. And believe it or not, there wasn't a single book that tackled all these questions from everything from like when in the day should I exercise to when should I abandon a certain project to whether I should give the good news or bad news first. And so um, I wrote the book largely because I wanted to read it. (laughs) <laughs> and, 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 I've, and i've read it and it's not bad isn't that a, isn't that an intro that that's, that's probably the, the most unique reason a person's ever told us they wrote a book but it's true and i think that's actually i think it's actually important for writers to follow their own curiosity so my view is that my view has always been um you know i'm not that special so if i'm interested in something then means that probably a lot of people are interested in it so if I was sure. curious, if I wanted to read a book like this, then I figured other people would do too. Mm-hmm. You know, one one of the things that you kind of start out the book, you know, saying is that we tend to focus on the idea, and you were talking about a little bit of, you know, what can we do or how can we do something to order improve it. And you said that we you need we need to be focusing on 
the when and then the timing of it. So why is it so important that we pay attention to the timing of something? Uh, because it has a huge timing has a huge effect on our performance, on our mood, even in some cases on our physical well-being. And as you guys are saying, you know, we, we tend to take questions of what very seriously. We take questions of how we're going to do stuff seriously. We take questions of who we're going to do it with seriously. But we give short shift to when. And it turns out there's a huge amount of research out there across many domains that says that these questions of when have a material effect on many aspects of our life. If you just think about time of day and our performance on the job, uh, time of day explains about 20% of the variance in human performance on most kinds of cognitive tasks. So timing isn't everything, but it's a big thing. And it's as big a thing as what, who, and, and uh, what, and, and, and how. Mm-hmm. And you hear, I often hear, I guess, people kind of in in the world that Caleb and I live in, I mean, they're always trying to do things um, as early as possible, right? They're trying to get meetings in, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And I always wondered why, because for me, I don't feel my best necessarily in the morning. And so I I guess whenever I'm, when I'm thinking through this, this, this topic, it has to, there has to be something to that where some people literally they can do things at four thirty in the morning. That's that. That's like Caleb. Caleb loves. <laughs> Caleb's ridiculous. And then there are people like me who I'm good at like two o'clock in the afternoon. Why is that? Like, mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, because you know, it does make because you know, uh, you know, human beings are different, and it has to do with what. Uh, there's a whole field of, of research on this. It's called chrono for time biology, and it turns out that human beings have different chronotypes, which is basically your propensity to. You know, are you someone who wakes up early and, you know, then, but, but stays earlier in the day and in the evening? Or are you someone who wakes up later and reaches their, you know, their peak later in the day? And um, you've probably heard the terminology larks and owls. But Kayla sounds like a lark, um, you know, someone who's a little bit who uh, rises fairly early and reaches their peak of energy and productivity earlier. Uh, you sound more like a, a, an owl. And what what? What the, the research shows is that um, some of us are large, some of us are out. Most of us, people like me, are kind of in between. Um, but so, for, so someone who's an owl um, should navigate his or her day in a very different fashion than someone who is uh, a large. So uh, one of the one of the big ideas that you write about is that we need to discover um, when we are at our best. We were just talking about, you know, how I'm, I'm a little bit different. How do we, how can we discover that? How can people figure that out about themselves? Is it just something they naturally know? Um, and, on, and on top of that, um, is it possible to change? Um, great question. So let, let, let's, take, let's take two steps back. One of the keys to daily performance, okay? So we're not talking about timing over a lifetime, over a project, or any other broader dimension. But let's just focus in on the single unit of the day. One of the things that that we should go for is what social psychologists call the synchrony effect, right? What we want to do is we want to bring our type, type of, you know, our chronotype, the task that we're doing, and the time of day into sync with each other. So you can figure out whether you're a lark or an owl. The simplest way to do it is this. Think about a day when you have uh, when you don't have to wake up to an alarm clock. Uh, think of, and then think about what time would you go to sleep and what time would you wake up, and then figure out the midpoint of that sleep. So for me, you know, let's say that I would um, 
typically on a day where I don't have to wake up to an alarm clock, I would go to sleep at midnight and wake up at 8, let's say. The midpoint of my sleep would be 4 a.m., right? Um, if your midpoint is 3.30 or earlier, you're probably a lark. If it's later than 5.30, you're probably an owl. Uh, and if you're in the middle, you're probably what I call a third bird, so what most of us are, kind of in the middle. Um, all right, so what does that mean? That means that, that that's your first step. It turns out the day has three key stages, what I call the peak, the trough, and the recovery. Peak, the trough, and the recovery. Um, uh, most of us go through it in that order, peak, trough, recovery. Uh, Al tend to go through it in the reverse order, recovery, trough, peak. And what the research shows is that there are certain kinds of work we should do in certain kinds of those periods. So during our peak, that's when we're most alert. That's when we're most vigilant. And vigilance is one of the key attributes here, the ability to keep out distractions. During our peak, whether your peak is in the morning, as it is for most people, or later in the day, as it is for some people. But whatever your peak is, that's when you should be doing your analytic work, your head-down work, work that requires focus, um, that kind of focus intention. So writing a legal brief or analyzing data. Okay. During the trough, which is in the early to mid-afternoon, that, that's usually not good for much at all. Um, and actually, a lot of things go wrong in our lives during that period. Uh, you think even something like auto accidents. Auto accident, the most common time for auto accidents is between 4 and 6 a.m., not surprising. The, the second most common time is between 2 and 4 p.m., uh, that, that trough period. So during the trough, you're better off doing your administrative stuff, filling out your TPS report, um, uh, uh, answering emails, doing that kind of mindless stuff, some of which we have to do every day. And finally, is the, is the, is the recovery. And during recovery, um, our mood is boosted, but we're a little bit less vigilant. And that combination is actually pretty helpful to us. It helps us do more creative, creative work a little bit more effectively. And so you should try to move your more creative work into that recovery period. And so what the mistake that we make, and this goes back to your earlier question, is that we tend to think that all times of day are created equal, and they're not. And so what we should be trying to do as much as possible within the confines of our own responsibilities and schedules is move our analytic work to the peak move our administrative work to the trough and move our creative work during to the recovery. And now I guess that leads to the second question is what, what happens if we're not in control of, of our schedule? How, how do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a really important issue for a lot of people. I think there are two ways to go about doing that. Um, uh, one of them is to, um, is, is really, I mean, one of them really is simply to know yourself and know, what your proclivities are. So, so to know, hey, I'm more of a, I, I'm more of an owl, I'm more of a lark than an owl, or I'm more of a, I'm more of a, um, um, an owl than a lark. And so, and you can, so if you're forced to operate at your suboptimal time, you can do some things to correct for that. So let's say that you're an owl and you have to go to one of those 7.30 a.m. meetings. Okay? That's miserable for owls, right? The idea of going into a meeting at 7.30 a.m. is just horrible. Um, but sometimes you can't avoid that. So what, what do you do? Well, I think you can take some affirmative steps to mitigate some of the harm. So in that case, what you could do is you could think about the night before, what do you want to accomplish in the meeting? What do you need to get done in the meeting? What topics do you need to cover in that meeting? Write it down the night before. Go in with that piece of paper so you don't have to retrieve the information from your foggy memory. Another thing you could do, uh, look, you should look for ways to boost your alertness and boost your mood. One of the things you can do to boost your alertness is maybe before that meeting, go take a walk around the block. 
Uh, there's a lot of evidence about movement and nature being fairly restorative. So take a walk around the block before going into that meeting. Maybe also there's another really good mood booster is to do a good deed for somebody. So, you know, buy somebody, you know, if you're in line to get a cup of coffee, you know, buy the coffee of the person, the stranger behind you. And so you can take some of those, you know, small steps to guard against operating your suboptimal time. Um, if you can't control those, those kinds of things, um, there, you know, I think you can go to your boss and say, and, and, and putting it in terms of her self-interest and the organization's self-interest, you know, um, what I found is that I'd be better at, at my head down work early in the morning. And so, you know, is there any way that I can not go to this meeting and instead do my head down focus work at, at 10 o'clock in the morning or, um, uh, and just, you know, explain to your boss when you do your best work and put that in terms of their own self-interest that the company is going to get, the organization is going to get more out of it. Another thing that some companies have ever so slowly begun to experiment with is something that you can think about as chronotype Friday. So you have this clear fixed schedule four days a week, but on Fridays, maybe one day a month, people can work according to their own schedule. So the early birds can get in earlier and leave earlier. The late people can come in later and leave later. And and with that, I guess what I'm what one of the first things that I that I think of is um, how important then it must be to really um, to really understand the the, the rhythms uh, of your own day. How what if so to flip that? If you are a boss, um, how can you use yeah. how can you use this to 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 help lead your employees? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a core question here. What would you have to? I mean, I think one of the things that bosses can do. It helps individuals achieve that synchrony effect. How do they get harmony, synchrony among people's um, type, their task, and their time? And so, if you know that somebody is a is a night owl, um, don't have them do their analytic work first thing in the morning. It's a bad idea. Let them save their analytic work for later in the day. Uh, the same thing is if you have people who you know are you know are are large. Don't make them pull all-nighters. They're going to be miserable. They're not going to do very good work. And, again, this goes to the question you guys were asking earlier, that, you know, bosses need to – bosses are very good at figuring out, okay, what do we, what do we need to do? Bosses you – know, one of their jobs is to figure out who's going to do what. Um, to some extent, bosses help us figure out how to do stuff. But bosses don't take this question of when seriously enough, and they should because it's having a material effect on their employees' performance. So the other thing is um, with that, are, are, do you know of any any tests or anything that, that people could use? Um, is there anything out there um, that people could use to be able to really begin to figure this out for their own employees maybe? Sure. There's something that you can find on that called the, the Munich Chronotype Questionnaire, the, M, um, the MCTQ. Uh, so if you put that into the Google, you should be able to find that. But this other um, – that other sort of super simple way that I articulated earlier, which is finding the midpoint of your sleep yeah. on what's called a free day when you don't have to get up, is another, you know, really simple, pretty accurate back of the envelope way to figure that out. You know, you mentioned something that, you know, bosses, they tend to focus on, you know, what we're doing and how we do it instead of the when. Why do you think it's a tendency, I think, in all of us to want to focus on the what and the how instead of the when? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I think that for some, I think part of it is that, we're mistaken in our beliefs about timing. Uh, as I was saying before, we think that timing is an art. We tend to make our timing decisions based on intuition. 
Um, and um, that's just wrong. We've just gotten it wrong. The timing isn't an art. It's much more of a science. And we need to start dealing with questions of timing in a far more hard-headed, systematic way. You know, another kind of concept or idea that you talk about is the power of breaks. And I want to ask a couple of questions about that. One, why do you think sure. it's important for us to take breaks? And why do you think we tend to underestimate the power of taking a break? Well, the break is pretty powerful. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of the early research on sleep. You know, we used to think that people who sacrifice sleep to, to do their work were heroes. Now, the science of sleep tells us that they're actually, it's actually a pretty stupid thing to do. Um, and I think that science of breaks is in the same, um, is, is basically following that same trajectory. That science of breaks is telling us that breaks are enormously important for our productivity, our creativity, and our emotional and psychological being. Um, that, that, that powering through and never taking a break is a bad idea. It actually deters your performance. We tend to think of breaks as a deviation from performance, uh, but in fact, it's actually part of a, a part of performance. It's what professionals do. We also know a lot more about the element of the uh, of an effective break. We know that um, uh, we know that breaks taken with other people, social breaks, are more effective than so, solo breaks. We know that breaks where you get to, where you move around a little bit are better than remaining stationary. We know that uh, having exposure to nature is actually incredibly powerful and restorative. Uh, and we know that being fully detached, that is not taking your phone with you, is actually more effective than being semi-detached. So what we have now is some pretty good evidence that breaks have a big effect on our performance and some, uh, some other evidence on how to take breaks more effectively. You know, your, your book is kind of broken up into, you know, three primary sections. And, you know, the middle section is about, you know, beginning something when you're in the middle of something and ending something. And so we kind of want to focus a little bit on that. And just as, you know, the first question that we had is, you know, kind of in the beginning chapter of the book, you know, you write about the idea of how sometimes we can get off to these things called false starts. And, you know, the start doesn't end up, end up going as well as we wish it would. What is something someone yeah. can, can do to overcome their poor, their false start? Yeah, I think one of the smartest things to do is draw on some of the research from um, a few scholars at the University of Pennsylvania who came up with what they call the fresh start effect. And what it shows is that in our heads, uh, that, that in our behavior and our thinking, we have what are known as temporal landmarks. That is, these moments in time that operate like physical landmarks in a space that help us find our way. And these temporal landmarks have a big effect on our behavior and our willingness to change. Um, and so there's certain, and, and in particular, some of these temporal landmarks offer us a chance to make a fresh start. So let me give you an example of that. So if you want to do, if you want to change your behavior, you're better off starting that change on a Monday rather than a Thursday. You're better off starting that change on the first of a month rather than the 13th of the month. You're better off doing it on the day after a federal holiday than the day before a federal holiday. Because some of these dates, they, they, they basically, the way we think about our lives is that we have ledgers, sort of some kind of temporal accounting, and we say, okay, you know, old me never uh, exercised regularly, but new me, you know, and I'm opening up a ledger on new me on this Monday, new me is going to behave differently. And you have a fighting chance to overcome that false start by making a fresh start. So it, it really, it, it's, it almost sounds kind of like you're tricking your mind 
into into kind of associating starting with with natural starting points. I think that's really brilliant, especially in terms of of people who um, don't work typical hours. Like for Caleb and I, we both work in the in 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 the church world, and so for us, our weekends are a little bit wonkier than than most people's are. Just because yeah, we're, yeah, we're working yeah. on we're working on Sundays, and so it's really interesting to think about beginning something new at the beginning uh, of the week rather than um, towards the end of the week. Just because for me, I know it, my, my week starts on Sunday rather than Monday. Um, so, right. so I okay. guess so the, that, yeah, so that's your temporal landmark. Right. Right. So I guess the, the, inter- the, the question that I had it, that, that I have is, is, is there, is there anything then to be said when it comes to uh, a failing or, or finishing something with finishing it, um, towards the end of the, I'm just curious, this might not, you, you might not have anything on this, but I just am curious, finishing things in, in the same way uh, towards the end uh, of a week or, or a temporal landmark like that. Um, yeah, there's actually, there's actually some pretty interesting evidence on, on that, um, that um, when we, when we don't, um, and, it, and it actually can cut, it can actually can cut both ways. There's some interesting evidence that when we um, when we don't finish something, that it lingers in our head for um, uh, longer than we um, longer than we realize it. it it's um, it, it's something called the I think I'm pronouncing this right. It's something called the um, uh, the Zygarnik effect um, that says that when when we haven't completed something, we actually remember it better than we do things that we have completed um because it, so so we want that sense of, so that sense of completion can feel good at the at the very end it's, it's also related to i have a whole chapter on endings and endings can have a big effect on our behavior too especially um uh, endings can help us uh you know galvanize to um uh can, can help us kick a little harder when we get toward the end of something so uh, one of the things that I, I, I find curious, and it goes off of the whole ending thing, uh, is why is it so important to end, that we end well? Endings have, endings have a huge effect on our behavior. They have multiple effects on our behavior. One of the things that they do, as I said, is endings can energize us. So they can energize us to kick harder. So we see the finish line, we, we pump our legs a little harder. That's a big effect. Uh, so you see it in... Um, Everything from uh, certain kinds of deadlines to uh, weirdly giving people a couple of weeks to cash in a gift card makes them more likely to do it than if you give them a couple of months. Um, uh, you see it in behaviors of people running marathons. So people are more likely to run a first marathon at, at years that end in nine, the end of a decade, so 29, 39, 49, which is totally freaking weird. That is um, really strange. <laughs> We just both looked um, at each other like so endings, what in the world. Endings can have absolute endings can have that endings can have that kind of effect on our behavior. Um, they also help us uh, encode. So endings have a disproportionate effect on how we uh, evaluate experiences, how we record experiences. Um, and so so endings, you know, uh, endings um, we have a preference for endings uh, that elevate, that have rising sequences rather than declining sequences. And so I think one of the keys here is to recognize that, you know, if, if, when we look at any kind of thing that we do, whether it's a project at work, even our own lives, there are beginnings, middles, and ends. 
And each of those have a distinct and different effect on how we behave. And if we're conscious of them, if we understand their underlying dynamics, uh, we can, you know, we can, we can work a little smarter and live a little better. You know, uh, we've talked about beginnings and we talked about endings. And I think, you know, a lot of people, they'll focus on that on, you know, either starting well or ending well. But one of the things that I thought was really intriguing uh, while reading your book is you talked about this idea of the middle. And you said that, you know, whenever someone hits the middle, they they either have a tendency to either, you know, things go bad and then it gets worse and they just give up or it, it energizes them to, to finishing strong. And so what I wanted to ask yeah. you is what are maybe one or two um, things that people can do whenever they're in the middle to help them finish strong instead of, you know, giving up and getting discouraged? Yeah. So one of the, so again, like, like with a lot of this stuff, some of it is simply recognizing that there are these things of midpoint. That if you have the beginning of something that you're doing, so if you have the beginning of something that you're doing, you have the end of something that you're doing, like say a deadline or a time you have to complete something, then that inevitably creates a midpoint. There's a middle between those two periods. And midpoints have exactly the effect that you're describing. And sometimes they fire us up, sometimes they bring us down. And one of the best things you can do I guess two of the best things you can do at a midpoint is one, recognize it, like understand it. And so, and so that's sort of central to all of this stuff is that we need to be aware of the effects of timing and we need to be intentional about what we do in response to that. But I guess one of the smartest things you can do at a midpoint is, and this comes through some research from uh, Jonah Berger at Penn and Devin Pope at the University of Chicago is, um, is to imagine that you're a little bit behind. There's some interesting evidence from the NBA that teams that are down by one point at halftime are actually more likely to win a game than teams that are up by one point, which makes sense because they have a deficit. Um, and so and, and there's other experimental research showing that, uh, that, that, when, that when people feel slightly behind at the middle, they end up working a little harder. So if you have a team and you get to the middle and you say, hey, guys, um, we're, you know, we're, we're not quite where we need to be. We're a little bit behind. That can be very galvanizing and a good way to prevent that, mid- that middle midpoint slump. You know, you, you kind of conclude the book, you know, in like the final chapter. You talk about this idea that, you know, that the, the, the meaning of life or significance is found through, you know, the challenge of bringing you know, your past and your experiences and combining it with your present and your future hopes and dreams together. And so I was just wondering, you know, what, what, or maybe a couple of things or maybe one thing that people can do to kind of bring their, their past experiences, their current reality and their future hopes and dreams together to experience that significance. Yeah, that's a, that's a real question. And, and again, it it sort of changed my view on all of this. I think there's a lot of, uh, talk out there about living in the present. And it seems like our real task is, and I think it's a task of leadership as well, is to uh, uh, make the past, present, and future coherent. That is not simply to live in the present, but to make it relevant to the past and relevant to the future. And so there are a number of different things we can do on that. For instance, um, if you think about the, the emotion of, there, there are a couple of, I think, under, of, of understudied uh, emotions out there that can be um, that can be really powerful. So if you think about something like nostalgia, I think that nostalgia, which is which is um, you know nostalgia is 
uh, you know, the way that we we think about um, the way that we think about the past, the way that we reflect on the past, and um, and what's interesting about that as a social emotion is that we tend to look down and we say, well, don't be nostalgic. That's bad. And it turns out that the research on nostalgia shows that um, um, it actually um, gives people a sense of meaning and gives people a connection to others. And that's very, very powerful. So, you know, thinking nostalgically um, is, can be really helpful. The same thing is true with another understudied emotion, which is awe. Uh, when, and, you know, and certainly uh, for, you know, the church leaders on your, uh, who are listening to you, um, you know, um, I mean, awe is, is central to the experience of religion. It's central to the experience of nature and, and art. And um, it, it, it gives us a feeling of vastness that's something larger than ourselves. Uh, but the, the vastness forces us to adjust our mental structures. So when we experience awe, it actually changes our perception of time. The, time slows down. We feel like we have more of it, and that actually lifts our well-being. And so, so all these kinds of emotions that we that we often, you know, don't take very seriously, nostalgia and awe, can be really powerful ways to integrate past, present, and future. And it seems like that is, in many ways, the secret to a, a good, coherent, meaningful life. Dan, just as we're getting ready to conclude, one question that we always love uh, to ask all of our podcast guests is, what are you learning right now? And it can literally be about anything. What am I learning right now? Um, I am um, learning about, well, there's two things. Number one is that I literally just came back from a trip to a Spanish-speaking country, so I've been learning some Spanish. Um, I, I studied Spanish before, so I was uh, so I feel like I've learned a lot more Spanish having forced to be in a Spanish-speaking country, and I also understand how much more Spanish I need to learn. That's one thing. Um, second thing that I'm learning is is um, I, I'm reading a book. I've just finished a book called Sapiens uh, that has really called into question a lot of my assumptions about human evolution and um, certain kinds of social structures. So. Uh, I guess I, I guess what I'm what I'm what I'm ultimately trying to learn is like what are we human beings all about? Like at a very deep level, like what is it that ultimately makes us tick? And I don't know if I'll ever find the answer to that, but I'm going to keep trying. You said the book is called Sapiens. Yeah, Sapiens. Okay, I might have. To- uh, the author is, is yeah. It's it's a very it's a really interesting book. I recommend it. Great. I'll, I'll have to check it out. Well, Dan, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. If people want to find, uh, find the book or if they want to learn more from you, how can they do that? Uh, they should just go to my website, which is www.danpink.com. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, it has been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Todd, what was one of your takeaways from our interview? You know, he really talked in this interview a lot about understanding when your when your times are best. And he goes into a lot of detail of breaking down, um, you know, whether or not you're a lark or you're an owl and, and when the different times are. And it just made me begin to think of um, the times of the day and when I'm doing certain things. And actually, I have to admit, I do my days all wrong if you go off of that. I do tend to be more of a, a night person in terms of in terms of working, 
And yet at the same time, I do a lot of detailed work in the morning. And, and according to him and the things he's talking about, that's actually totally wrong for me to do that. And so it was just interesting to hear that and to think about how, hey, you know, maybe I need to reevaluate how my days are structured and the work that I'm doing and when I'm doing it. I think for me, um, I mean, a couple, a couple of things um, stood out. One was just the idea of finishing well and how um, and how people remember most what we've People remember the ending the most versus the beginning or the middle or whatever it may be. And um, I think another one was just the idea of the middle of what he, of what yeah, he talked about. That was interesting. In there, I agree. Sometimes overcoming, you know, the middle or the slump is simply acknowledging that it's going to, it's going to happen. I, I thought that was an interesting piece of that. That it's going to be there. And instead of, you know, letting it be a surprise, you expect it to happen. Hey, by the way, we would love to hear from you um, about where you kind of fit. And hey, do you do your? Are you like me and do your days wrong? Um, tweet at us, uh, send us, you know, DM us, whatever, and send us. Hey, is this something that that you know kind of help you begin to shape the way that you think about your days? Let us know. Yeah. And again, if you want to pick up Dan's book, you know, hit up Amazon, go to his website, and do that. We highly recommend the book. It's a great read, and. Uh, I think it'll help you out a lot and even identifying um, like what you were saying, whether you're an owl or a lark or a third bird or whatever it may be as well. Now, we want to remind you that all throughout January, we are recording. Uh, we're having two episodes of the podcast each week. We're going to release one normally like we do on Tuesday, and then we release one. We'll, we will release one on Thursdays as well. And the best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use, whether it's Apple podcast, Google play, maybe you want to listen on Spotify. I think we're on Spotify. We are. So you can hit us up on Spotify as well. Show us some love and show us your appreciation by leaving us a rating or writing a review of the podcast. It's the best way that you can give us feedback, show us what you're learning, show us how we can improve as well, we always appreciate you taking the time and showing us how we can continue to learn and grow as well. Thank you so much for listening to the Learner's Corner podcast today. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.